anniversary. So the story goes that uh, a rabbi and a rebbitzin are celebrating 50 years of, of marriage. And his name was Rabbi Stern. After 50 years of being married, the husband uh, tells his wife, you know, I've noticed over the years you have this shoebox in the closet. It always has a lock on it. And I'm never able to, I don't know what's in that box. You know, this is like secret. Uh, you know, we're married for 50 years. It's time you let me open this box. Show me what's inside. What, do you, what, what are you hiding there? So she says, uh, okay, you know, 50 years, okay, but uh, you're going to be sorry that you opened the box. And he's uh -oh. wondering, you know, what, what could it be? What could be so bad? They're already married 50 years. He's going to go for it. And he goes over, he opens the box, she opens the box for him, and he looks inside, and there are three eggs and $2,000 cash. He's wondering, you know, this is what you're hiding from me? He's like, what are these eggs doing over here? What are these eggs? So she says, well, every time you gave a sermon, you gave a lecture, and, uh, and it was I, was I rated it bad, it wasn't a good sermon, I put an egg in the box. So he thinks to himself, you know, he was rabbi for, I don't know, 30 years. Three bad sermons can't be so bad. Why would I be sorry for that? And he says, okay, well, what's the $2,000 cash? And she says, well, every time I got a dozen eggs, I sold it for $1. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> so preparing a lecture, preparing a class is, uh, you know, it's not just we're learning about something in the past from 3,000 years ago, an old Torah, an old story, an old mitzvah. Our idea here is to take the lessons of the Torah, of the weekly portion, the weekly parsha, and to apply it to our lives. So like in this week's parsha, Parsha's Vayikra, it's the opening parsha of the third book, the book of Vayikra, the book of Leviticus, which is called Leviticus because it talks about the Levites, the Levites from the tribe of Levi, the Kohanim, the priests that were in the temple. The book talks about the sacrifices, all the rituals that went on in the temple. So many different kinds of sacrifices. There's so many tractates of Talmud dedicated just to all the details that went into the different uh, rituals and sacrifices in the temple. And one can think, what does this have to do with me? I'm not a Levi, I'm not a Kohen. Even if I am, there's no temple for the past 2,000 years. So one day, uh, hopefully soon, Mashiach will come and this will all resume. But what does this have to do with me? So that is what we will attempt to talk about today, just from the first word. We're going to look at the first word of, the, of this week's parsha and see how uh, this can be applied to us as we say the living Torah, how the lessons we can learn, and hopefully nobody will put away any eggs uh, for me. <laughs> okay, so... Let's, uh, let's pass this around, please, Daniel. Uh, is that enough? Maybe one more here. <clears throat> okay. One more? Oh. Just enough. So again, the, the book is called the book of Vayikra, first portion, and the first portion is called Vayikra, and that's the first word of, the, of, the Torah, of this parsha, Vayikra. I don't know what Vayikra means. Vayikra means, and he called out. The opening verse is, we see in source one, and he called to Moses, and the Lord spoke to him from the tent 
of meeting. That's the first verse of this week's parsha. God called out to Moses, Vayikra, he called out to him, and he spoke to him from the tent of meeting, which is the tabernacle we spoke about in the past few weeks, the, the center of the Jewish camp. And God spoke to Moses and started to tell him the, each of the sacrifices, all of the, all of the laws of the, of the sacrifices. The first word is, and he called. The Aleph of the word for he called, the first word in the book of Leviticus is written smaller than usual, alluding to Moses' humility. Okay? So the first word is Vayikra, and the word has five letters, Vav, Yud, Kuf, Resh, Aleph. The last letter of the word, and he called, is an Aleph. And that Aleph is written in the Torah smaller than usual, and it, really in any Chumash, any Torah book you'll look. The letter Aleph, the last letter of the word, and he called, that God called to Moses, is a small letter. So in general, there are three size letters in the Torah. Most letters are the medium size, the regular size. <clears throat> and then there are certain letters throughout the Torah that are written smaller, in smaller font. And there are some letters that are bigger. For example, in Shema Yisrael, Shema, right? Shema Yisrael, the prayer of Shema Yisrael. The first letter of Shema, the Shin, is big. If you look in a Torah scroll, you look in a Chumash, it's a big shin. Oh, I'm sorry, not the shin, the ayin. I believe it's the ayin. In the word Shema, the ayin is big. And, the, and also, Echad, the last word, Hashem Echad, God is one. The Dalit is a big Dalit. Without, without going into the reasons why, that's just examples that most letters are regular size, but there are some letters throughout the Torah, not very common, that are small, and some that are big. So the Balaturim, we see in Source 1, the Balaturim is Rabbi Yaakov, the son of Asher, who lived about 800 years ago, in his commentary on the Torah says, why is this Aleph small? Why would it be written small? So it's alluding to the humility of Moses. Here God is calling out to Moses. Nobody else, well, most people don't merit God calling out to them. So Moses wrote the letter Aleph small, Alluding to his humility, you know, who am I? God is calling, calling to me, he's talking to me. The small olive shows on Moshe's small, way he looked at himself as somebody small. Moshe was humble. Okay. The question is, Moses, what, would exa what exactly was he humble about? Moses was the greatest man that ever lived, as we see in Source 2. The, the verse says, if there be prophets among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known to him in a vision. I will speak to him in a dream. Not so is my servant Moses. He is faithful throughout my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth. So Moses was different than any other prophets. There were many prophets throughout Jewish history. There were many people that God uh, um, communicated with. But all of them had the vision of Hashem in a dream. They would fall asleep or you know, some sort of vision, but not mouth-to-mouth, -mouth, not face-to-face, -face, like a man speaks to his friend. And as the Torah says, another verse, and there was no, when, Mo when Moses passed away, and there was no other prophet who arose in Israel like Moses, for whom the Lord knew face-to-face. -face. And Rashi explains, for he was quite familiar with him, speaking with him at any time he wished. Other prophets, they had to work hard, it was a certain, they had to uh, prepare themselves spiritually, emotionally, and, and sometimes and with much preparation, God would appear to them in a vision or a dream and they would lose control of, of their bodies and it would, it would, it would be a, a really um, 
special experience. But for Moses, he was talking to God as like he spoke to his friend. He just, whenever, whenever he needed something, the Jewish people needed, Moses said, I'm going up to God to, to, to talk to him and ask him to see his opinion. And no other prophet was like that. So Moses was very special. He was, in some, time, in some places, he's considered like half an angel. You know, he was like up there in the mountain for 40 days, three, time, three sets of 40 days without eating, without drinking. That's what the Torah says. He was like a sort of an angel, right? So he's the, great, the greatest man that ever lived, speaking to God face to face. And we know all the great achievements of Moses. Moses, uh, God spoke to him in the burning bush and sent him to talk to Pharaoh. Pharaoh was the superman. He was the greatest man, powerful, most powerful person of the time. And here he's going as Moses and talks to Pharaoh. And he brings ten plagues on Pharaoh and he splits the sea, of course with God's help. But he's the one leading the people and bringing on all these miracles. And... Hearing the, giving the, the, the Jewish people the rest of the Ten Commandments and the Torah coming down from the mountain, all these great things, fighting wars for the Jewish people against the mightiest and uh, giants of the time. So what does it mean that Moses was humble? Did he not know that he was a great person? He was the greatest person. What do you think? What does it mean that he was humble? Well, I mean, like when he talked to God during, uh, during the burning bush and... Uh yeah, uh, where exactly? It's like he constantly just said, uh, "Not qualify or something." Like he resented God, and God got mad at him, and, and was like he resented him. He had a speech impediment, so he 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 was humble. He said, "Oh, I'm not fit to do this. I'm not fit to do this." That's before he did everything, right? Before he was sent. But once he was sent, did he not realize that he's so great and he's being privileged to talk to God? And more so, we see in Source Three, the Torah says, "We'll learn it uh, in a few months." In the book of Numbers, now this man Moses was exceedingly humble, more so than any person on the face of the earth. This is what it says in the Torah. Tell me, if Moses was really humble, how did he write this verse? I'm really humble. I mean, if you're humble, then you shouldn't be writing that you're humble. If you're humble, you're humble. God is dictating to Moses what to write, and, Mo and Moses is writing. And Moses was exceedingly humble, more than any person on the face of the earth. That sounds like a bit of a contradiction. If you're really humble, then you shouldn't be priding yourself and writing to everybody in the Torah for all generations that I'm humble. And we see the similar idea in, in the Talmud, source 4. From the time when Rabbi Yehuda the prince died, humility ceased. The Mishnah in the, end of, uh, in the Talmud, the end of the tractate Sota, is listing, uh, you know, going through history and showing how the generations deteriorated. And it says that when Judah the Prince, Judah the Prince is the author or the, the one that put together the compiler of the Mishnah about uh, 2,000 years ago. And, he, and the, the Mishnah says that from the time when Rabbi Yehuda the Prince dies, humility ceased. Rabbi Yehuda the Prince, he was a humble person. But once he died, humility ceased. There was no more humble people. So Rabbi Yosef, who was still alive, said, Do not teach that humility sees, for there is still one who is humble, namely me. I'm still around and I'm humble. So, right? That seems rather strange. If you're humble, then why does everybody have to know that you're humble? That's the question. Let's get to the answer. So maybe Some patience. Should, maybe to teach a lesson on how, on how, how, to, how to do it, like this, an example, mm -hmm. to emphasize the point. Maybe, all right. Turn into um, haughtiness, like it's in the next. You know that you don't take it for granted that you appreciate 
what you have. And what you have and what you were destined to be and destined to do. Right. Okay, <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that. But that's just our opening questions here. What exactly is the humility of Moses and how does he write that he himself is humble? You know, the guy that took, his, took a girl out on a date and he doesn't stop talking nonstop for two hours. He's talking and what's the topic? He's talking about himself. <laughs> Finally, after two hours of talking, he pauses and he says to the poor girl, you know, I've spoken enough. It's, it's your turn now. Well, what do you think about me? <laughs> Now, it's not just Moses that was humble, as uh, Daniel was saying, that it's a lesson for us. It's not just telling us, oh, Moses, he was so great. You know, maybe if you, up, if you go up onto the mountain, you, you, deserve, you have to also be humble. No, it's also for us, even if we are not as great as Moses. But we also have to be humble. Like we see in Source 5, the verse says, it's just one of the many verses in the Torah that talk about humility. Everyone of haughty heart, haughty heart is an abomination of the Lord. Hashem doesn't like people that are arrogant. Hashem likes humble people. And like it says in the Mishnah, be very, very humble. Not just once, be humble. Be very, very humble. Source 6, the Talmud says, any person who has arrogance within him, God said, he and I cannot dwell together in the world. Hashem doesn't want to have anything to do with him. Any person who has arrogance within him, it is fitting to hew him down as a tree designated for idolatry is hewn down. So the halacha is, the law is that if a tree is worshipped and designated as a, an idol to worship, this tree, excuse me, this tree, then you need to destroy it, you need to cut it down. So here the Talmud is comparing, putting together someone who is arrogant, arrogance, with idolatry, which is pretty extreme. You know, okay, somebody's a little arrogant, he feels, uh, he feels good about himself. But is he serving idols? He can still believe in God. Why is the Torah, why is the Talmud putting together, equating arrogance to idolatry? And finally, one more source in the Talmud, source 7. A divine voice issued forth and said to all the mountains that came and demanded that the Torah be given upon them. When it came time for God to give the Torah to the Jewish people, he ascended on the mountain, Mount Sinai. But Mount Sinai was one mountain, a small mountain, uh, we mentioned this once, I think, previously. And other mountains, they were beautiful mountains, right? Mount Sinai was bare, it was, there was nothing special growing on it, it was just small and simple. Other mountains were beautiful, with grass and nice things growing on them. Other mountains were taller, and they all came to say, we should be the one that the Torah should be given on, because we're so beautiful, and we're so great, and we're so tall and majestic. So God said to them, Why do you seek to enter into a legal dispute with Mount Sinai? You are all blemished in comparison to Mount Sinai. Ravashi said, Ravashi was one of the compilers of the Talmud, Learn from this, that one who is arrogant is considered blemished. The other mountains arrogantly insisted that the Torah should be given upon them, and they were therefore described as blemished. Hashem says, I need a complete mountain. Mount Sinai sat there quietly. He wasn't boasting, saying, I should be the one, I'm so special. He just sat there quietly. All the other mountains were boasting about why they're so special. God said, you're blemish. I'm not going to use a blemish mountain to give the Torah to the Jewish people. And interesting that in, in Mishnah, when it talks about the, um, 
how the Torah came to us, you know, where it came from. It says, Moses received the Torah from Sinai. You know, it doesn't just say Moses received the Torah from God. It says, Moses received the Torah from Sinai. Because Sinai is, is a lesson that where do we receive Torah? What's the first lesson from Sinai, from a humble mountain like Sinai? So those are some examples where we see in Talmud, and there are many, many such teachings. And we see that it's not just Moses who was humble that Torah is telling us about, but it's obviously a lesson for us as well. We should be humble. So what does it mean to be humble? What does it mean <clears throat> not to be arrogant? What is the Jewish approach to humility? So one might say, being humble means... Okay, let's give an example. So... Um, You appear on the talent show. You have a talent, whatever you can do. And everyone is ranting and raving, applauding to you. Wow, you're amazing. It's such a good job. What would be the humble approach to the presenter? How, would he, how should he respond to those saying that he's amazing or she's amazing? Hard work and dedication. That's all it is. Take a bow. <laughs> thank you. Okay, thank you. What should she think inside of herself? Did she say, ah, it wasn't so good, you know? Right, but let's say for, for the person himself, or the person herself, does she feel, she, she really is much better, she really performed much better than anybody else. Nobody could do this, you know, whatever talent she did, or he did. <clears throat> so in herself, she can think, she, could she think to herself, you know, really, I'm really good, you know. Yes, I will acknowledge and be nice to whoever is thanking me, and yes, hard work and dedication, but I am really better than everybody else. Nobody else could do this. I'm really special. Well, that's arrogance. So I what's the problem? But is it the truth? <laughs> well, let's say it's the truth. There are some people that are extremely talented, right? There are people that are very talented, and everybody is talented in a certain way, right? So yes, with some hard work and dedication, they can put on a great performance, and when people say, you're amazing, they really are amazing. So, so what is arrogance? I, I'm not amazing? I should lie to myself? What does it mean to be humble? It's the truth. I'm, I'm, I'm great. Well, a humble person could acknowledge that everybody else was great too. You could say, "Oh, okay." Oh, everybody else did a great job, and they worked very, very hard. Well, let's say he was really better than them. Well, like Moses, listen, he really was greater, greater than anybody, right? So, what one one might say that humility means to say, "Yeah, you know, really, just try to to play down, you know, your success and your achievements." But let's, the, the first point uh, we'll, we'll you know, take off here is to look at some sources, Jewish sources, how a healthy um, self-esteem, a healthy uh, you know, self-concept is, is not to put yourself down, not to say, oh, I'm not really good, I'm not really important, you know, it wasn't just such a good show. And then we'll move on to what, uh, what, how a person should, what humility really means. So source number eight. You know, I'm gonna, let's do source number nine and ten first, and we'll get back to eight. Source number nine. Excessive humility, this is from the Baal Shem Tov, the founder of the Hasidic movement. Excessive humility will distance a person from serving God. If a person constantly tells himself, I'm worthless, I'm a nothing, what am I, you know, 
I'm not really anything special. That will distance a person from serving God. Our perceived lowliness will lead us to disbelieve that our prayer our tor and Torah study stimulate a flow of divine effluence to all the supernal worlds. We should be mindful that all our gestures, engagements, words, and movements have an effect on high. Right? So if a person thinks, I'm just a nobody, then that's not good because you are a somebody. God created us and what we do and we pray to God, there's somebody on the other end of the line listening to us. And we study Torah, God is uh, smiling up in heaven and all the mitzvahs that we do, we are, you know, we have a profound influence on what goes on. Everything we do has an effect on high. It's like a shadow, you know, when we move a little bit, everything moves along with us. Source 10, just as we must believe in God, so too we must afterward believe in ourselves. So the, way, the way this uh, Hasidic uh, rabbi writes, Tzadok HaKoyen, that he, just as we believe in God, the next thing we believe in is in ourselves. We have to believe in ourselves. That God cares about us and that we are not worthless laborers. We're not just doing, God says, you put on the film, light candles and do this. And you just got to listen to my commandments. No, we're not worthless laborers. We possess divine souls and God takes pleasure and joy when we fulfill His desire. There's a purpose for each and every person. Let's go back to source 8. There's a quote, a uh, Hasidic quote. Just as we need to know the defects, so too we need to know our strengths. So there's a... You know, the words here are exact. Just as we need to know the defects, so too we need to know our strengths. It doesn't say we need to know our defects. It says the defects and our strengths. Why is that? So the Rebbe explains, the concept of sin is completely alien to our being. Even, when, even we stumble, if we, when we stumble, it does not undermine who we are. Rather, it is something outside of our nature that has latched onto us. We are citizens of a material and mundane world, and it is therefore possible for something unholy to attach itself to us. Though it is a defect, in a sense, it is not our defect. It is not who we are. We find ourselves in an environment, and sometimes, you know, you go on the beach, you get a tan, right? So it can affect who you are, but that's not really, it can latch on to you, but it's not really who you are. But a defect imposed by our environment. So what we see from these sources is that the Torah, Judaism, um, advocates a healthy self-esteem to realize that we are important. We are good people. The bad that is inside of us is not really who we are. We're a good person. We have an neshama. We have a piece of God inside of us. We are good. And any bad that we might do, any thoughts, speech, things that we say, actions that we do, that's just things that lashed onto us and we were stained sort of by our surroundings. Okay, so we can clean that off. But really, we are good people. And we are important people. We are worthy people. We are put in this world for a reason. We're not just a nobody. We're a somebody. So definitely being humble doesn't mean being meek. Meaning I'm just a pushover. I'm a nobody. No, I'm a somebody. I'm, I'm, I have a purpose. I'm, I'm worthy of something. I was created in the image of God. And I'm, de I'm deep down a good person. So source 11, to see yourself as worthless is not humility. Being humble, if someone has a low self-esteem, doesn't mean that they're humble. That's the opposite. 
Self, low self-esteem does not go together with humility. Humility doesn't mean low self-esteem. Humility knows, uh, at least we're seeing here from the sources, because we know we have to be humble, and we know the Torah is telling us we must know our qualities, we must know our importance. So to see yourself as worthless is not humility, that's just being ungrateful. Right? God, God uh, created you, and you're saying, I'm nobody. No! <laughs> Appreciate what, what Hashem gave you. God blessed each one of us with unique qualities and we should be aware of that in fact only when we are aware of our self-worth can we be humble so that's what we're going to talk about what do those words mean only when we are aware of our self-worth that's when we can be humble if somebody doesn't realize that he's worth anything that's not that, that's nothing to do with humility that's you're just you're, you're just being ungrateful you're not realizing who you are that's not being truthful because each one of us has special qualities. Each one of us is special and important. We're not just, we weren't created by accident. So what does humility mean? So the rabbi, it's a Rosh Hashanah in the shul. There's a packed shul and the rabbi's, um, rabbi's up there in the cantor. The chazan is up there and it's really a spiritual moment special, you know, at the time, the height of the, the climax of the prayers, and the rabbi gets all excited, and he throws himself, prostrates himself on the, on the bima, and he screams out, God, I am nothing before you. And the cantor, on cue, he follows suit, he falls to the ground, and he says, God, in front of you, I am a nothing. And then, there is this simple Jew, Yankel, who's the, the schnorrer. The schnorrer is, he's the town beggar, and he also falls to the floor and says, God, I am nothing before you. And the rabbi turns to the cantor and he says, Look who thinks he look who thinks he's a look who thinks he's a nothing. You know, this little guy. Who does he deserve to be a nothing? <laughs> Obviously, that's not what humility is. Humility is not saying that you are humble. Humility is not knowing inside that I am really great, but I'm just not going to tell everybody about it, you know? I can be the best uh, presenter, best performer at the talent show and say, ah, you know, it wasn't so great, thank you so much, and just not boast about it, you know? You won't post it on Facebook and say, hey, look, I won the, the trophy, I got the medal, but deep down I know that I'm the greatest. I'm just not going to tell everybody about it. So is that what, is that what humility means? No, that's not what humility is. That's just being, that's acting humble, not being humble. What does the Mishnah say? You should be very, very humble in Source 5. Not act humble. If somebody deep down knows that he's so special, he's so great, he's so smart, he's beautiful, she's beautiful, anything, any special thing that you, you're proud of, but I'm just not going to boast about it. That's just called, I'm not boasting. So that's not being humble. That's acting humble. So what does it mean to be humble? So understanding humility. Obviously, this rabbi had it wrong, as well as the cantor. So this is an explanation from the Alter Rebbe, the first Chabad Rebbe, who told, who told his grandson, the Tzemach Tzedek, the Menachem Mendel, who our Rebbe is named after, his great-great-grandfather. So the, third, the first Chabad Rebbe, Rabbi Shneir Zalman of Liadi, who passed on in 1812, and he's telling this to his grandson, Rabbi Menachem Mendel, who was three years old, and this is in the year... 1792. He's three years old, 
and his grandfather takes him to the cheder. When a boy turns 13, he has his upsharnish, his hair cutting, and the custom is to wrap him in a talis and prayer shawl and bring him to the cheder. And he actually, we open the book of the Vayikra, the third book, we don't open the first book for various reasons. We open the third book and they take honey and they, you know, put it on, they usually laminate a, uh, a paper with the, with the letters and they put honey to train the child, teach the child that the words of Torah are sweet like honey and they throw candies. It's a beautiful ceremony. And the boy sees the word Vayikra, our, our parsha, and it's a small aleph. So when he gets home, he asks his grandfather because his mother passed away um, a year before, uh, his mother passed away very young, so his grandfather was uh, educating him, taking care of him, and he says, why is the Aleph so small? And the Alter Rebbe starts explaining to him, what does it mean that Moshe, that Moses was humble? It says like this, source 12, humility is not the result of underestimating one's true worth. Moses understood very well that he was an extraordinary individual who had been chosen by God to lead the Jewish people out of Egypt and receive the Torah. However, Moses also understood that his special character was a gift from God. That's the first point. Humility means I recognize, yes, I know I am special, but who made me special? Who gave me these talents? God. God gave me the talents. God gave me the capability to develop these talents, to cultivate them. It's not mine. So you're a beautiful artist. You can juggle. You can, I don't know, whatever, what's on uh, the talent shows. You can do all quick, amazing things. But who gave you those talents? That's the first point. So yes, Moses knew he was very great. But... That's not a reason to be arrogant because I didn't make myself great. God made me great. He could have chosen somebody else to make them great. You know? And the second point is, he thought that had these lofty traits been given to someone else, they would have been able to reach an even higher level than he did. Moses, in his humility, thought to himself, if God would have chosen my brother Aaron or some other person and given him this lofty soul and you know, gave, given him all the powers that I was given by God, he would do even a better job than me. Am I really using out the strengths and the gifts that God gave me to the fullest? That's what makes somebody humble. When Moses thinks to himself, yes, God gave me special things. I performed the ten plagues and went up on the mountain, but was it I am so special so I was able to not eat for 40 days and 40 nights on the mountain? No, it was all from God. God chose me. So he decided to choose me. Fine, I'm here. But it's nothing to do with me. He didn't choose me because I'm special. And even after he gave me these special traits and maybe I developed them, but, you know, if you give someone a diamond and the person shines them a little or a lot, big deal. You didn't make the diamond. You're just polishing the diamond. You're enhancing the diamond. You're using the diamond. Right? As long as you're not ruining the diamond. So somebody is, we don't thank the person for not ruining the diamond because big deal. You know, someone gave you a diamond. You're not special for the diamond. Someone gave you a diamond. You have the diamond, right? So is somebody beautiful for wearing a diamond? No, the diamond is beautiful and you're wearing the diamond. So who is beautiful? The, the craftsman, the one that made the diamond. Yeah, if you wear the diamond, that, that enhances your beauty. 
but it's not you, it's the one that made the diamond. And that is really ourselves. We are a diamond created by God. And the special talents and qualities and things that we have were given to us by God. So it is it us to, be, to feel arrogant that what? That God gave it to us? He could have given it to somebody else. He happened to choose you. That's a, you, that's a um, feeling of humility. Wow, God chose me to give such special talents or whatever we have. So on the contrary, to feel arrogant is like being ungrateful. Th say thank you to God for giving you the things that He gave you. And we think to ourselves, yes, I have a talent to, to sing, and I have a talent to, to uh, you know, whatever my talent is. Am I using those talents that God gave me properly? Am I using them to their fullest? To their fullest? Somebody who is humble will say, and will, will be truthful to himself or herself, and say, if somebody else would have these extraordinary talents, or whatever talent I have, they would probably do much better than me. Source 13. Humility does not negate truth. It, humility doesn't mean to say, oh, I wasn't so good. I'm not so smart. No, I know I'm smart. But the fact that I'm smart comes from my parents, comes from God, and God gave it, ultimately comes from God. Humility does not derive from our shortcomings. You know, I know I'm so great, but like the, I'm accepting my weaknesses. No. It actually derives from thinking about our strengths because we have a, a healthy self concept. We have a healthy self-esteem. We know that we're important. Yes, we know that we're special. We know we are talented, each one in their own way. But we know that those strengths come from where? Where does it come from? It comes from God. If we don't recognize that we are special, then that's not humility because it's nothing to be humble about. You're, you're, you're really a nothing, but it's not really true. It's not even being truthful. Humility means that I know that I am important. I know that I'm special, but it's not because of me. I'm just a player here taking what God gave to me and enhancing it with God's help and I'm not even doing the best job because if somebody would have my talents he would do even greater. Humility means that we acknowledge our intrinsic worth but we also recognize that we cannot take the credit for these qualities. They are not really ours. They were given to us and we have to strive to use them in the, mo in the, in the best way possible and we always think to ourselves being humble that somebody else if they would be in our shoes would probably do better. At least that's how Moses thought. Source 15, uh, 14. Humility is often misunderstood as simply the lack of boastfulness. We are humble if we feel superior to others, but just don't tell anyone about it. Right? So a humble, you might say, what does humility mean? Yeah, you can feel superior, but just don't tell anybody. Don't boast about it. No, true humility, however, that's also special, right? Not to boast is also a, a nice attribute. But true humility that we learn from Moses is not just not to boast and deep inside we think so superior. True humility, however, is learned from Moses in our story. He is fully aware of his greatness. You cannot deny that he split the sea when he struck his, his, uh, his rod. Yes, God told him to do it. But that's exactly the point. Moses said, it's not me. I think it's me doing everything. It's all God using me. And I'm humble that he chose me to do it. It's not there's something special about me. He even had a speech impediment. It's not like there was something special about him. Obviously, he was born with a special soul, but that's because God gave it to him. He is fully aware of his greatness, but attributes it not to himself, but to God. Moreover, this allows him to respect others and see them in a positive light, as God had blessed them too with their own unique qualities. God chooses, each, gives each person what, they, what he decides. 
Obviously, we know that Moses, of course, did use his capabilities to the utmost. But in his humility, he thought to himself that if somebody else would have been chosen, he would have done a better job. That's what it means the Mishnah. Be very, very humble. Don't just act humble, but be humble. Deep inside, we should contemplate, and this is an avoida, something that we have to work on, to be humble, to think to ourselves that the good things that we have are really from Hashem. They're really from God. Source 15. Now there's a story of a great, one of the great um, commentators on the Talmud was Rabbi Akiva Eger. Rabbi Akiva Eger lived probably about um, in the late 1700s, early 1800s, somewhere in Poland. Uh, maybe he's named after the great Rabbi Akiva is in the times of the Talmud. But this is Rabbi Akiva Eger. Great scholar and very deep, deep thinker. <clears throat> and he was uh, once coming to a city together with another great rabbi, Rabbi Yaakov of Lisa. And two rabbis were coming to, I uh, forget the, the, the city, they were coming for, uh, for a, a convention of rabbis to discuss uh, you know, the issues of the day. And these two great rabbis, two great scholars, are sitting in the, in the carriage, just being led by the horses, and they come to town, and all the people in the town are gathered to greet these two great uh, scholars, and back in the day, they didn't have pictures, and uh, you know, no one really knew what the rabbis looked like. They just heard of these two great rabbis from their books, from their works, and they all came out to greet them. And the carriage is, you know, it's a covered carriage. And Rebekiva Eger, seeing the crowds, um, the crowds came, and they actually you know, took out, took out the horses from, the, from carrying the carriage, and they all, the, the people themselves went to, to schlep the carriage out of respect for the, for the great rabbis. And Rabbi Kibaker said that he thought, surely they're all coming to honor my, my friend. He was a very humble scholar, rabbi. So he quietly slipped out of the carriage, and he joined, they didn't know who he was, he slipped out, and he joined everybody schlepping the wagon. But... The other rabbi, at the same second, thought the same thing. They're for sure coming for the great Rabbi Akiva. He also slipped out and joined everybody. And finally, they come to town. They open the door. There's nobody inside. Right? They each felt that, yes, they not know that they're, that they're a scholar and they're, they wrote commentaries on the, on the Talmud and they're, they're uh, great rabbis. Yes, they knew that. But do they, do they think that they deserve that they're that they deserve uh, such honor, you know, I'm just, uh, I was given uh, maybe some extra brain, so I'm doing my job, so that's something to be, uh, to feel special about. And they were sure that the other person, the other rabbi is the one being honored. And we see this, these two, these two um, sides. Now on one hand, we have to know who we are, right? It's not about putting ourselves down, that's not healthy. We have to know that we are unique, we are each unique, and what we're good at, what we have achieved. On the other hand, we know that all that we have and all that we have achieved is not only due to our own hard work. It's a gift from Hashem. And that, so we have this small Aleph, which teaches us humility, and there's also another letter in the, in the Torah, which is a big Aleph, source 15. It's not in the five books of Moses, but it's in the book of Chronicles, one of the 24 books of the entire Torah. There's the, the five books of Moses, we have the eight books of the prophets, and we have 
the books of the scriptures, like Psalms, is in there, Proverbs, and one of them is Chronicles, Divrei Hayamim. And it starts with the beginning of the book, it goes through the whole history, and it starts with creation, Adam. Source 15, the first verse of the book of Chronicles, Adam, Seth, Enosh. The first three generations. Adam, Adam, had a son, Shes, Seth, and he had a son, Enosh. And then, the tenth one was Noah, twentieth one was Abraham, and so on. So the Aleph, in Adam's name, as the first word of the book of Chronicles, is written larger than usual, alluding to Adam's self-esteem as the acme of God's creation. In the hour that the Holy One, uh, Holy One came to create the human, he said to the angels, Let us make a human in our image. They said to him, This one, what good is he? You know, he created all of these creatures, the fish and the animal. What is this special? What's special about the human? And God said, His wisdom is greater than yours. Referring to Adam. Adam was handmade by God. He wasn't created, he wasn't born from parents. He was created as a 20-year-old grown man. He was and his, you can imagine it being made by God himself, you know, directly. Of course, we all are made by God. Um, he was very holy and very special. And as Hashem told the angels, his wisdom is greater than yours. Adam was the one that named all the animals and named, named you know, he really saw the essence of each animal and what name befits them, is befitting. So Adam was special. And the Aleph of Adam... Is a, is a big olive to teach us that we must have a healthy self-esteem. We must recognize and acknowledge the greatness that God gave us. Yes, it came from God. But not to put ourselves down, to say, we are nothing, we are a nobody, I'm a no good. Right? I'm always making mistakes. No. We are good people. We, have, we, have, um, we are worthy people. And we are gifted people from Hashem. Source 16. God said to the Jewish people, I desire you, since even at a time that I bestow greatness upon you, you humble yourselves before me. I granted greatness to Abraham, yet he said before me, and I am but dust and ashes. You can imagine, Abraham was gifted by God with a son at a ripe old age of 100 years old, and his wife Sarah was 90. Abraham was told that his descendants would get the land of Israel and be the chosen people. I granted greatness, and, and yet, what did Abraham respond? I am but dust and ashes. Abraham was a humble person. He was an hospitable person, a generous person. He didn't think highly of himself. He said to God, I am dust and ashes. I granted great meaning. Of course, he recognized that he was chosen by God, but in his eyes, it was him himself. It was nothing special. It was all from God. I granted greatness to Moses and Aaron. Yet Moses said of the two of them, And what are we? Moses said, We're, not, we're nothing. We're, why are you? He was talking about there was a rebellion. Korach rebelled against Moses. Moses, it's not us. You think I'm special? I was just chosen by God. I granted greatness to David, King David. And, I, and David was given that all, the, the, the kingdom will, all, will be from his descendants. Yet he said, But I am a worm and no man. All of these great personalities recognize that yes, they have special qualities, but it is not theirs to boast about or to feel, you know, not just to boast, but even to feel special about. <clears throat> so eight-year-old Melissa is talking to her mother one day over the supper table, and she asks her mother, you know, I've been thinking about the human race. How did we get, it, get into this place? How did the humans come about? Where do we come from? So, her mother tells her, it says in the Bible, Adam 
and Eve were created, they were the first humans created by God, and they had children, they had children, and, you know, till today, that's how it came about. Okay. Later on, her father comes home, and she asks her dad, Daddy, where did humans come from? And her father says, Melissa, that's a very good question. Very intelligent question. Millions of years ago, there were monkeys. And from the monkeys came, I don't know, what do they teach? And eventually it evolved, evolved and we came, we came to humans. So Melissa is a little confused. Where do we come from? Do we come from God, from Adam and Eve, created by God, or from the monkeys? She goes back to her mother and she says, Mom, Dad said that we're from the monkeys. You're saying we're from God who created Adam and Eve. So Mother says, very simple. He was telling you about his side of the family, and I'm telling you about our <laughs> side of the family. <laughs> Source 17. We are all spiritual heirs of Adam and Moses. We come from, I want to know, we have two lines here. We come from Adam. Adam was the first man. And we come from Moses, or we, we, are, we have a spark of Moses inside of us. We are spiritual heirs of Adam and Moses. When we feel inadequate, we must remember that we are Adams with big olives. Adam, the first word of Chronicles, with the big olive. We have to remember that we are like Adam. We are not a nobody. We are special. We are, we are human beings. We are Jewish people given a special neshama with special, each of us have special qualities and a special mission. So when thoughts of who am I deter us from our task, we must recall that we are formed by God's own hand, just like Adam. God created us and are fully capable of caring for his garden. God gives us the qualities and God gives us special talents. At the same time, these things do not make us arrogant. We must recall that we are Moseses. We are like Moses and thereby ensure that our self-assurance does not develop into conceit, does not make us feel arrogant because we recognize that this that the, that, the, that the things that uh, we have, the good things and the good qualities we have, are a gift from God. And it all starts from God. So we have these two heirs. We have Adam to teach us, and we have Moses to teach us a lesson. Like the, one of the Hasidic rabbis, or Bunim of Pshischa, would say that a person needs to hold two pieces of paper. One in this pocket, and one in this pocket. One paper, it should say... Like Abraham said, I am but dust and ashes. And other paper it should say, for me the world was created. Which is a, a text in, in the Mishnah. What are these two things exactly here? Adam tells us, for me the world was created. I was given, I was created by God, and I am important. I, I have a mission here. I am special. Yes, I am special. But on the other hand, I am but dust and ashes because it's not me. It's all God. And in a second, I can... You know, disappear. It's all God who created me and keeps on creating me and gives and, and orchestrates everything that happens. So that's the, that's the idea of humility. <clears throat> Let's move on to two more ideas uh, quickly. Source number 18. Be humble before every man. Before we had a quote that said, be very, very humble. Here, another quote is, be humble before every man. It's not just between us and God, how we should feel. But before every man, we should be humble. As we said before, because we recognize that our qualities were given from God. But maybe we can think to ourselves, you know, that person, he's really not using his qualities. 
So maybe I'm better than him. God gave me qualities and, you know, I think I'm using them. We're not maybe the best, but I'm using them. But that person, look what a low life he is or she is, you know. How can I be humble before every single person? You can say I can be humble before most people, a lot of people. But be humble before every man, before every man and woman I should be humble. I mean, there are some people that are really low. And they waste their lives and they do terrible sins and, and being, you know, immoral and stupid and doing... How could I be humble before them? So the Alter Rebbe, the same rabbi, in Tanya, in the book of Tanya, in chapter 30, says like this, source 19. By conducting a thorough evaluation of his own moral and spiritual standing, one is certain to find areas where he has failed to prove equal to what is expected of him. That his fellow may be guilty of the same or worse is irrelevant, for he is in no position to judge. As the Mishnah says, do not judge your fellow until you are in his place. For you have no way of knowing how his nature, his background, and the circumstances surrounding any given deed may have influenced his behavior. However, regarding your own behavior, you are in his, your own place, and in a position to know that despite all the excuses you may have, you could have done better. So we are not in the position to judge anybody until we're in their shoes. And we'll never be fully in their shoes. We're only in our own shoes. We know fully our environment. And, and we always know that our, to ourselves that we could always do better. We're never using the talents and the gifts that God gave us to the fullest. Somebody else, they may look on the outside as a failure. But do we really know the his nature the nature he was given by God do we know what qualities God decided to give him his background and the struggles that he has so let's put it in a um, you know religious not religious context right so some religious people may look down at somebody who is not religious saying hey look at me I put on tefillin every day I keep kosher I keep Shabbos I you know I do all of the mitzvahs or many of them and there are other people that are you know on the checklist, they have, they're, they're much, you know, they're not doing as much, right? So somebody can, can feel not humble towards those people. Right? You mind closing it? Thank you. And if you look on the chart, yes, this person in the past month put on film 30 times and he only put on one time. So how can you compare? You know, how can he be humble before the other person? And what's the answer? The answer is, God, as we see the, the title, struggle counts. What God looks at and what counts is not necessarily how many checks you have, how many things you achieved, right? So for somebody with, uh, who is a really good swimmer, they can do 100 laps, and somebody who swims without hands and feet, you know, there's this guy, this uh, motivational speaker, has no hands and feet, and he goes swimming, and he does one lap, that's amazing, right? It's because he's really working really hard. So this person may have been born into a religious family. He, doesn't, he never tasted what it means. He, never, he doesn't have a struggle to put on tefillin every day. It's like putting on his pants in the morning. It's, it's normal. It's like brushing your teeth. But for somebody else that grew up in a different kind of family, in a different country, in a different, and, and who knows the nature that they have to, to uh, you know, the struggles, temptations, each person, the background, the circumstances, the environment they live in, we are not to judge anybody. And it's not a, a Chabad thing. It's the Mishnah that says, do not judge your fellow until you are in his place. And the only person that we're in their place is ourselves. All we, the only one we need to judge is ourselves. And to know that when we have that kind of struggle, I don't know what kind of struggle he has to put on film once a week. And if he has, overcomes that struggle, he does that one lap, it can be worth much more than all the hundred laps. Because 
You know, if that person was born into such a family and one time he misses to fill in, it's worse off because, you know, he should have known better and he doesn't have that kind of a struggle. And you can apply this to any kind of case, not necessarily religious, not religious, in any kind of thing. We see somebody's on drugs and, he, and we say, how, how could he do that to his parents? You know, how can he be such a bad person? Do we know the family that he grew up with? The, the parent, kind of parents he had? Do we know the environment, what went on in his life? Do we know the kind, of, the kind of qualities God gave him? Do we know what kind of situation he's in? It is not our business to judge them. God gave him or her the qualities that is his mission or her mission in life and the struggles are, are for them. And it's not for us to judge. We must recognize that what we have is not a reason to be arrogant. What we have is a gift from God. They have their gift from God. We don't know what kind of gifts God gave them but it's their business and it's their struggles and it very well might be that they're even greater than us because by them doing one lap they are greater than us so maybe on the paper they have this person has more laps but that person can get a trophy for doing one lap because he put so much effort into it and it was so much more meaningful than the other person you know the other person can do 99 but if it's easy for him he has to do 500 for it to be equal to that one to that one lap of that person so use that in any scenario when, when we look at other people and we, and we look at them you know, in a condescending way and saying, hey, I'm for sure better than them, that is not the Torah way. The Torah teaches us to be humble before every man. It is not our job to judge anybody. Let God do that. That's not our business. We need to look at each person and embrace them, welcome them, and be sympathetic to their plight. Of course, it's not an excuse for them. We need to encourage them, but not to look down at them because we ultimately do not know the gifts that God gave each person and the struggles that Hashem sets up for each person. So that's another dimension to humility which helps us be humble before every kind of person. And to conclude with uh, another idea, Source 20. So there's two brothers that were, they, they were great rabbi or two great people but one, one of them had a big, um, a lot of people came to see him. People flocked to him to get his advice, to watch him pray and watch him, you know, get blessings from him. Another one was a great scholar as well and great, you know, good, great uh, person, but nobody really came to him. So he came to his brother and he asked his brother, how come nobody comes to me and they only come to you? That's my question. And his brother said, I also have a question. How come, nobody, how come everyone's coming to me? They should go to you. And then he says, well, maybe because you have that question, I have this question, that's why they're coming to me. Maybe because I'm thinking to myself, why is everyone coming to me? I'm, I'm nothing special. And you're thinking, well, how come no one is coming to me? That's why no one comes to you. People like to, to be around somebody who is humble, somebody who doesn't think of himself as something special. And that is the, a, a third dimension to being humble. You know, <clears throat> our hands and feet, uh, you know, we move our hands, we move our feet, they serve a purpose. But do we analyze what we're doing? We just do it. We don't give any importance to our hands or feet. You know, we just, we just move them and we, it just goes. It just flows. We don't stop to analyze the importance of the hands or the importance of the feet. Or say a soldier in battle. The soldier is not occupied 
and about thinking, um, you know, if I shoot that soldier, I'm going to get a, an honor, I'm, I'm going to get a badge, I'm gonna, I better do that. The soldier has one thing in mind, to win the battle, right? I hope so. A proper soldier is not thinking about themselves. The whole concept of an army is that the soldiers, they, they, they do all kinds of, you know, things to, um, you know, uh, to put themselves aside and to, you know, they're very strict with the soldiers to show that... We're here for the country. We're here for, for the purpose. Right? It's not about the soldiers themselves. Of course, of course after the battle, if a, if a, a soldier was brave, then they, they get honored. But during the battle, the soldier's not thinking about themselves. What are they thinking about? They're thinking about the mission. And the same thing here. Source 20. Chassidus tells us, When someone senses his head or one of his limbs, it indicates illness. A healthy person does not feel his limbs, right? When you have a headache, you feel your head. Or if you have a bruise, you, God forbid, if someone breaks their hand, they, their, their hand hurts. If they don't feel their hand, that means that they're healthy. The same applies in the spiritual sense. When a person senses his own existence, this indicates a spiritual illness. A spiritually healthy person does not sense himself. The humble person is completely unabsorbed in himself. So the whole concept of, you know, what we spoke till now, of making a calculation, well... I am really special, but I have to convince myself and, and contemplate and internalize the fact that what the special qualities that I have are given to me from God. And therefore, I shouldn't be arrogant. I should be humble. And yes, I have a struggles, but there are, and other people are, look worse off than me, but really they have really tough struggles and I can't judge them because I don't know, you know what they're going through. That's a calculation that helps us have a healthy um, self-image. But the whole concept of thinking about a self-image at itself is not so humble. Right? This is a deeper level of humility is not to think about yourself in the first place. I don't have a self-image. I'm not thinking about myself. I'm not absorbed in myself. I'm not thinking of my head, how to think about myself. I am not absorbed in myself. I am just doing my mission. I was created by God with a purpose. We, again, we weren't born by accident. I was put here with a mission. As a Jewish person, as a human being, I'm here to make this world a better place. I'm here to support my family, to bring children into this world. I'm here to contribute to society. I'm here to do goodness and kindness, right? I'm here to leave the world better than it was before I came. I have a purpose. And in every situation, I'm thinking, how can I contribute? How can I use the qualities that God gave me to make, to help somebody else, to do good? I'm not thinking about myself, what I am, am I special? It's not about me. I don't need to have a self-image. I'm not thinking about myself. I'm not absorbed in myself. I'm just here always looking, what can I do? Not what, what do I need and how I am, what I have achieved. I'm achieving, yes, but it's not me. It was given to me by God. This is my mission. This is what I'm doing. I'm here to help. I'm here to accomplish. As the Mishnah says, Source 21, if you have learned much Torah, do not take credit for yourself. You might be a great rabbi and a great scholar. It is for this that you have been formed. You, are, you have a mitzvah to study Torah, so you're doing what you're supposed to do. Finished. Right? You don't get rewarded for doing something that you're supposed to do. Right? Of course, we get reward because we're struggling and everything, but the Mishnah is trying to tell us that it's not something to boast about. It's not something necessarily, it's a really deep level of humility, you know, if we can get there, but it's something that we can think about that it's not about myself. Life is not about me and being so special. It's not about me, how much I could achieve. I know it's a little different than, you know, maybe the secular view about building yourself up and making yourself special. Yes, of course we should take those talents that God gave us and cultivate them and use them in a good way. But why? Not for yourself. 
Because that's why you were created. You're using the talents that God gave you. And obviously that's your mission in life. Like we spoke you know, two weeks ago about the women that use their talent of weaving the, the goats, spinning, sorry, spinning the, the goats thread on the back because these are talents that God gave us. And I'm obviously, this is my mission, so I'm using it to do what's right. I'm using it to do, fulfill the mission why I was put here. But it's not necessarily for me. It's not for me. It's not about me. Life's not about me. It's about the mission. It's about the purpose. Hasidic, Hasidic Jews, when they sit by a farbrengen, they come together, they say l'chaim, and they warm up, they would wish each other, especially Chabad, Hasidim would wish each other, you know, not just, some, some people wish each other, uh, you know, you should be healthy, you should be successful, you should be wealthy, you should, you should have lots of nachas from your, you know, a Hasidic wish by a farbrengen was l'chaim, you should fulfill your divine mission. It's not about you. You should do what you're supposed to do. Yes, it means raising children, having nachas of them. That's what it means too. Does it mean to, you need a vacation sometimes? Okay, but it's not about you. Life is about fulfilling our mission. We are here, put in this world. Of course, we can have a good time along the way, but ultimately we know that, right, because it's, it's for our benefit. Right? Hashem also put us here you know, that we can enjoy life. But we know that it's not about us. It's not about our achievements and accomplishments. When we achieve, yes, we're supposed to do that. You know, that's, what, that's, that's just being a good student. Uh, the second part of Source 21. If, who is the one destined to receive a place in the world to come? It is one who is modest and humble, who studies Torah regularly and who does not take credit for himself because he recognizes that it's all from God. Source 22. Moses. The hero of the Passover story does not appear in the Passover Haggadah. I already mentioned. Moses, you can imagine, he was the one that came to Pharaoh and stood up to Pharaoh and brought the plagues and blood and the frogs and the sea and, and split the sea. All the amazing things that we read about in the story of the Haggadah. Shouldn't his name be mentioned? His name is not mentioned. It's mentioned once, but not really. His name is, is, is he's not prominently mentioned in the Haggadah. Why? Because Moses recognized that he is just serving as a pawn. He's just here. God put him here. Yes, God gave him a lofty soul and God, you know, elevated him, gave him all these special things and Moshe had cultivated it. But ultimately, Moses recognized, he had a small olive. He recognized that it is all from God. And that's why his name is not even mentioned. Go back to our question. So why does humility have to do with idolatry? Because if someone doesn't recognize, someone who's arrogant doesn't recognize that everything comes from God. Right? So it's something to do with idolatry. If someone recognizes that everything he has comes from Hashem, he recognizes that God created the world and creates the world and gives him everything that he has. And Moses could write that he's humble because humility doesn't mean, doesn't mean that I don't know my qualities. Moses knew his qualities. Everybody knew his qualities. And he didn't walk around the camp with his nose, you know, uh, like a loser he walked around the camp like a leader because he was a leader and he was he was he had self-assurance he knew that what he was appointed for but he recognized that it was not he who appointed himself god appointed him and if somebody else would be point, appointed he would do even their even a better job okay i could tell you, i'll read you a little story but whoever needs to leave can leave a little story about humility Um, <clears throat> it's actually a song one of the tapes that we listened to when I was a kid and I think when my mother-in-law was a kid as well um, it's called uh, Dr. Midos we were listening to it recently with Gita 
Dr. Midos. It's like, Midos means attributes, good attributes. And it, it teaches, uh, you know, it's a nice story with, uh, along the way, they have different, um, you know, little incidents, little different uh, episodes with uh, teaching children, you know, little stories with a song, teaching them with a song about having good, good Midos, good attributes, like being... Uh, being humble, not to lie, and uh, honoring your parents, and you know, being being friendly, and so on. So one of them is about not not boasting, and the song goes like this. We, we always hear it in the car. It says, um, "The Torah says be humble in everything you do. If you're strong or smart or beautiful." It's not because of you, all the good things that we have come from above. A humble person knows that he was given gifts with love. That's the song. Teaching children that the gifts that we have are a gift from Hashem. It's not a reason for us to, uh, you know, to, to get arrogant. <clears throat> so the story of is, a, is of Hillel, famous Hillel. So the Talmud tells us in Tractate Shabbos. Hillel, where is it here? One should always be humble. One should always strive to be humble like Hillel. It once happened that two people made a bet with one another. They said, whoever goes and provokes Hillel to lose his temper, he will get 400 zuz, $400, let's say. You'll have to give the other person. So one said, okay, I will go and provoke Hillel. That day, it was Friday before Shabbos, Friday afternoon. Sorry, Yes. Hillel. Hillel. Hillel was one of the great sages, uh, even before the Mishnah, during the Second Temple era, so about 2,300 years ago, 2,200 years ago. So Hillel was Friday afternoon. He was taking a bath. He was washing his hair, his head, for Shabbos. <clears throat> so this man went and passed by the doorway of his house, and he called out, Does Hillel live here? He didn't even say Rabbi Hillel. Hillel was the, the dean. He was the, uh, the nasi, how do you say? He was like the, 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 the chief judge of the rabbinical courts of the Sanhedrin. And he just said Hillel, called him by his first name, just like that. So he can even hear the water running. And he said, Is Hillel here? Is Hillel live here? Hillel turned off the water, came outside to greet the person. He says, My son, what do you seek? How can I help you? The man says, I have a question. He says, ask my son, ask. And he says, how come the heads of the Babylonians are so round? And Hillel says, you know, somehow the rabbis get all these kind of questions. My son, you have asked a truly profound question. You see, not just me. <laughs> you have asked a great question. The answer is because they do not have skillful midwives in, in Babylonia. And therefore, when they are born, you know, their head is really soft, so their heads get rounded. Okay, he left the house. And Hillel went back, he waited, he hears the water go back on, and he comes out, he cries out again, Does Hillel live here? Does Hillel live here? Again, he put on his cloak uh, in the middle of the bath and came out to greet him. And he says, My son, what do you seek? He says, I have a question to ask you. And he says, Ask, my son, ask. And he says, How come the Tarmodians are, their eyes are round, especially round? And Hillel says, you have asked a great question. The answer is because they lived in sandy terrain and the sand goes in their eyes and makes them round or protects them. 
Uh, okay, he waited, Hillel goes back inside, and a third time, he waits till the water goes out, and he says, does Hillel live here? And he comes out, and he says, my son, what do you seek? And he says, I have a question. He says, ask my son, how come the feet of the Africans are so wide? And he said, my son, you asked a profound question, because they live in swamplands. And he said to him, so the man saw he failed to, uh, to uh, provoke Hillel every time he came out from the shower, <laughs> the third time, you know, he was so humble and so so uh, patient and he said to him I see the man says I have so many questions to ask you but I'm scared that you will become angry with me so Hillel wrapped himself in his cloak he sat down in front of him and he said all the questions that you have to ask feel free to ask and the man said are you Hillel that the people say the called the the leader of the Jewish people and he said yes he says if it is you there shall be let there be no let there not be as many like you among the Jewish people no, being not nice to him, trying to provoke him again. And the man says, why is that? He said, my son, why do you say such a thing? And the person said, because because of you, I lost $400. I lost a bet. <laughs> so Hillel says, be, one should be humble and guard and, and um, you know, be careful not to get angry in any situation. Hillel is worth your losing on uh, his account 400 zuz. And even another 400 zoos, and I would not, Hillel will never take offense and be humble. So Hillel, we see the great rabbis taught us, like Moses, taught us to be humble. And taught us to recognize that, yes, he was the leader of the Jewish people, he was a great rabbi, but he had a humble, he had the attribute of humility. He was kind, patient, and humble. And recognizing that even though he may be very great, not going away from the truth, he recognized the truth. But he realized these are gifts from God. And somebody else could do a much better job. Next thank week you. we'll learn about Purim. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.